This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. Writing a memoir? Hire Harrington Interactive Media to help you write and release your book, even if it's just for your family to keep your family story alive. See examples and schedule a discovery call at harringtoninteractive.com. This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursdays of each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This week we heard from Denny Brownlee in his talk called Lessons from My Father and from My Dad. Here's Lyle's intro, and then Denny after that. Denny Brownlee. What can we say about Denny Brownlee? Well, the guys at my table told me a bunch of stuff that I can't say about Denny Brownlee, so I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll just be kind and talk to him. If you didn't read the resume that, that uh, Larry sent out, you know, Denny has done a lot of things in his life and his career. He's a storyteller. He's an actor. He's been a, a radio talk show host. He's a comedian. Um, he does sing once in a while. Uh, he's just done all kinds of things. One of his big projects lately is doing voiceover. And he's just in the process of finishing a book for a friend of his that has to do with, it's a children's book that has to do with Noah's Ark. And he's had to do, is it like 150 different, over 100 different voices, animals from all countries. You know, and so he's been doing that. I don't know if you'll have time to do a hundred of those this morning, but but <laughs> this is a very talented brother. He's also a man that really loves Jesus, and that's the most important part. He's my friend. Uh, we pray together. We talk together. We laugh together. I think we may have even cried together a few times. Uh, and uh, I'm just very very proud and pleased to know Denny Brownlee and what he's going to share with us today. Come, Denny, and uh, give us your heart and give us what God has put on your heart. Love you, brother. So I guess Lyle drew the short straw this morning. Did they pay him? Wow. You're getting more than I am then. I, I know. And, and I guess I live under a rock, Andy, because I wasn't thinking about it being Election Day. When you said that, I thought, you mean everybody here is Presbyterian today? That's, uh... I'll, I'll wait. I can wait. No, I, wanna, I just wanted to talk today about, I'm going to be reflecting on some things I learned from my dad and things I'm still learning from my father, all right? Because we all did. We all, we all had dads that we learned from one way or the other. And... Uh, I'm still learning a lot of things from my father. So to make the distinction, my dad was the guy I grew up with, and my father is the one who's still waiting for me to grow up. So that's the difference. But he's had a great impact in my life, as has my dad. It's been a, we've been here for seven years now, my wife and I, and it's, 
It's been a challenge. It's been a very, you know, Lyle knows most of the challenges I've been through. Um, just trying to revamp, retool who I am and what we do and, and how God wants us to serve him and, and serve others. And um, so we said this, this year, 2018, is going to be the year it changes. Doggone it, we're getting out of this stupid valley that we're in, and we're going we're gonna to move forward however God sees fit. And, and indeed, things have been happening for us. In February, we went through something called the encounter. Some of you may be familiar with the encounter. It's like four days intense. It's biblically based, so that's a good thing because it's a very intense thing, and you get through all your baggage. You go through all the junk in your life, and you find out different things like I found out I've been holding back. And so I'm up here today as much as anything for me. Sorry, but uh, I guess it's kind of a self-serving purpose to get back up in front of people, get back up on the horse, as it were, and uh, get back out there. The other thing that we learned from the encounter, unlike many of the people that were in the room with me, I don't hate my parents. (laughs) I, I... I couldn't, after four days, I couldn't, I, I don't hate my parents. I called my mom. I couldn't wait to tell her, Mom, I don't hate you. <laughs> and she's like, well, that's good to know. So anyway, I was talking to your sister yesterday, and, and the turtles are in the pond out front again. And, and you know, she's 90 years old, but you'd never, I learned how to talk from my mom, but, uh, <laughs> But I'm still learning a lot. I learned a lot from my dad, a lot more than he probably realizes that I learned from him. And I'm still learning from my father. I think C.S. Lewis probably said it best. I have no idea what C.S. Lewis said, but... (laughs) But he's C.S. Lewis, so I'm sure he said it best. I was told that if you speak to a Christian group that you had to quote C.S. Lewis and you're in. uh, Yes. One of these days I'll have to read something he actually wrote. <laughs> but, but C.S. Lewis knew the power of words, obviously. And that's one thing my father is teaching me, is that words have power. What is it? I think it's uh, Matthew twelve thirty seven. It says that by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. That's, that's pretty heady stuff. Words have a lot of power in them. My dad learned that from his dad. His dad told him he was no good. A lot. And in case he missed it, he, he kind of beat it into him to make sure he knew he was no good. And, and my dad accepted that after a while. There was a lot of things about him, he, and it wasn't true. He had a, a lot of incredible skills. He was very gifted at what he did. He was very accomplished at what he did, even if it wasn't highbrow stuff. But he never believed that he was any good. He never believed that he had any value. And sometimes he, he lived that out to prove it. But he learned condemnation. But see, my father, my father is teaching me that there is now no condemnation for those who are in him. He's teaching me that he is, that his love never fails. He's rich in mercy and grace. That his love is abounding. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. My father learned condemnation. So he was quick to anger, had little patience, and was passive-aggressive. <laughs> but he was also slow to punish. My, my parents disciplined us quite a bit. Not, not, not harshly, but they made sure we towed the line. And uh, my dad, when he had to discipline us, <clears throat> he would do this thing. He would drag it out. He could take a simple spanking or scolding and turn it into a Hollywood production. It would take him two hours 
go in, lay down on the bed. I'll be in a minute. Okay, you might want to just drop your drawers, loosen your belt. I'll be back. He keep coming back. Fifty. You know you're good discipline when your kids are going. Just hit me. Just, just please spank me before I go off to college. Can we get this done? One time, and this is for real, just to illustrate what he would do. One Saturday morning, my brother and I got into it as usual, and so he went out into the kitchen, and we had this uh, silverware drawer, I guess it was, that had wooden slats in it, and one of them was broken. So he went in this drawer, and he popped this this slat out, about this long. He goes out on the back porch, pulls out his pocket knife, whittles off the rough edges, and then decides to whittle himself a handle into this board so that it would be easier to hold on to when he finally spanked us. We sat there for two hours and watching Dad whittle a board so that we knew we could get hit by it. The man could ruin your entire day. Years later, I realized he wasn't doing that for us. He was doing that for him. He was calming down because he was quick to anger. He had a short fuse. But he also knew he didn't want to discipline us in that. Because that's what he learned when he was a kid, and he had the marks to prove it. And praise God, he didn't treat me the way he got treated. My father is teaching me who I am in Christ. I'm a child of the king. Okay? If Neil Anderson were here, he could have a list of 60 different things that I am in, in Christ. But I'm a child of the king. I'm a joint heir with Jesus to the kingdom of God. And I am God's workmanship. All right? It says in Ephesians 2.10, For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God already prepared in advance for you to do. So regardless if I'm in a wilderness or not, I know God has a plan, and I'm still working toward that, whatever that plan is. And maybe the plan is working toward that plan, whatever. But he said that we are his workmanship created for good works. If we're the workmanship of God, and that's you and me both, if we're the workmanship of God, and he's like the ultimate artist, we are works of art. You and I are a work of art. A lot of you I see out there are maybe like abstract art, apparently. (laughs) Or postmodern impressionists. Um, Some of you are really postmodern. You know who you are. But if we are workmanship by God the Creator, we are of infinite value. Regardless of what the world tells us or what your job tells you, what your paycheck tells you, what what the going rate is for a guy like you or me, God says we are precious enough to die for and have infinite value forever and ever. Amen. Now, my dad taught me who I was, too. He had a different way of doing it, but my dad taught me that who I am is the guy who's at his best. When I'm at my best, that's who I truly am. It's pretty cool. And if I forgot that, he would, he would show me, <clears throat> um, <laughs> but not in a bad way. Now, see, I, I grew up in Michigan. Hence, hence the cap. In Michigan, in the fall, when the leaves turn color, chances are you're either holding a deer rifle or a football. That's just the way it is in Michigan. And, and because my dad wasn't a hunter, we were a football family. Hence the, uh, the, the ball cap. Of course, I'm wearing the, you know, if you're born in Michigan, you are automatically a Detroit Lions fan. That's your pro team. Well, your semi-pro team. That's your... <coughs> 
you, you automatically root for the lions. So you become very biblical. You, you learn long-suffering. <laughs> you become quite Christ-like. Men of sorrow, acquainted with grief. The Detroit Lions, rebuilding since 1957. And so, so that's, but that's the team we, we grew up rooting for, was the Detroit Lions. And, um, and my dad was a football player in high school, and, and from what I understand, he was pretty darn good. He used to tell me, in fact, he said, I really think I could have played college ball if somebody would have just encouraged me. And I believe he could have. He, he man knew his football. And, uh, and he was also, he not only played the line, but he was a punter and a kicker. And so when my brother and I got old enough to, uh, to participate in punt, pass, and kick, do you guys know punt, pass, and kick? You've seen it on TV, right? Um, well, that was a no-brainer. The Brownlee boys already knew how to punt and kick, and how many eight-year-old kids knew how to do that? Well, they did. And sure enough, my brother was eligible the first, and his first year he went out there and won the local competition and, and by a long shot, way ahead of the crowd. And so the next year I joined, and, and for six or seven years after that, every year we brought home a trophy every year. We didn't always win, but we won a few times. And when you won the local competition, that meant you got to go to the next level. So for us, that meant that we got to go participate in a, in a competition in Flint. Flint was the biggest city around where I was growing up, so I, I appreciate a good glass of water. I, Thank you for getting a three-year-old joke. You still, just, <laughs> but that was a big deal. I won my local, so I got to go to Flint, and we're all out there. We all brought a football to warm up with, and I'm watching these other guys kick and throw and stuff, and I'm going, I don't see anybody that is better than me. And I'd hear them discussing their scores from their local competition. I went, my score was higher than that. I got a shot at winning this thing tonight, and if you win in Flint, that means you go to Detroit. I mean, that's going to be the state championship thing now. That's kind of big time, and I got a shot at winning. Now, I don't know if anybody ever did punt, pass, and kick, but basically you got uh, judged on distance and accuracy. Distance, you know, they measured distance in feet, and then however far off the line you were, you got deducted that many feet, that many points. So you had to kick it and throw it straight. Now, throwing a football is not so hard to throw pretty straight. And kicking a football off the tee is not difficult to do straight, especially the way we used to do it with our toe and not this soccer style crap. But um, <laughs> if, if your toenail didn't bleed, you weren't a kicker. Anyway, we, so, so it wasn't hard to kick a football straight. The punt, though, that, the punt was the, was the wild card. And that was my strongest event was the punt. And, um, but there's a lot of moving parts in a punt. And let's face it, even, even in the pros, a punt can go crooked and still be a good punt. If it goes out of bounds on the four-yard line, mission accomplished, that's a great punt, even though it wasn't pretty. But in punt, pass, and kick, it had to be straight, too. So I did my kick, and I did my pass, and they were both pretty good and pretty straight. So then it was time for the punt. <clears throat> and again, my, my strongest event, and I punted that thing. And as soon as I looked up, I saw it going like that off to the left. I just hung my head. That was it. I'm not winning tonight. You didn't get any do-overs. And the farther that thing went, the farther offline it went. And it didn't matter how far it went, I wasn't going to get very many points out of that punt. And so, indeed, I did not get to go to Detroit. 
So we hung around for the awards, and everybody was starting to leave then, and I'm dragging my chin across the football field toward the parking lot. And my dad's got our football that we brought, and he tosses it to me. He says, go down there and punt one to me. <sighs> Why? Just do it. <sighs> I'm 13, okay. <sighs> so I kick the ball to him. He catches it. He throws it back. Do it again. I kick another one. Do it again. Do it again. On, on about the fourth punt, I nailed it. I crushed it. You guys that play golf, you know how when you hit the sweet spot, you don't even hardly feel the ball hit the club? I barely felt the ball hit my foot. I knew as soon as it hit, I just nailed it. I looked up, that thing's spiraling. It's going straight. It turns over. It lands way behind Dad. He has to go chasing after it. He goes, chases the ball and picks it up. He says, okay, get in the car. He wasn't going to let me leave that night thinking I'm the guy that shanks his punts and screws it up. He wanted to make sure I walked out of there going, that's who you really are as a punter. That's what you're really capable of right there. We go home with that. Whether you took a trophy home tonight or not, that's what you're capable of. So that was a pretty good lesson. My father is teaching me that I'm a new creation. Now, we all know that if you're a Christian, you know you're a new creation. You know you've been born again. And, and that makes sense. But it really twigged into me about two or three years ago just what that meant. I was like, I'm a new creation. I don't know about you, but when I figured that out, I jumped out of the chair and I went flying into the bathroom. I turned on the light and looked in the mirror and went, oh, it's you again. Seriously? I know you can do better than this. Surely you can do better than this. He said, yes, I can, and don't call me Shirley. But this bag of bones obviously isn't it, and the bags of bones I'm looking at are obviously not it. Obviously, it's, it's something inside in our spirit. We are, we are tied to God because of what Jesus did for us. And this whole new creation thing, again, having grown up in Michigan, the car industry, especially when I was a kid, was like, that was it. Half of my relatives have worked for General Motors somewhere along the way. And the one thing that we didn't hear when we were growing up, you know, these days people tell you, son, never buy a new car. We didn't say that in Michigan. Please buy a new car. It keeps daddy in a job. We, we wanted a new car. So we would, you know, people there would, you know, trade their car in for a new one every couple of years, especially since they'd start rusting out by then anyway, up there. But, but you, you bought new cars because that was good for the economy up there and kept everybody working. But, uh, but we all know what happens when you take a new car and drive it off the lot, right? It loses, what, 10, 20, even 30% of the value when you drive it off the lot. It is no longer new. Well, I became a new creation the day I accepted Christ and, and turned my life over to him, repented of my sins, asked him to be the Lord of my life and, and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And, and he did and made me a new creation. A year later, I was a new creation. 20 years later, I was a new creation. 20 years from now, I'll be a new creation. 10,000 years from now, we'll still be new creations because if you were something that was getting old, you wouldn't qualify for heaven. That's why we won't go to heaven in these things because these things are breaking down and they're going to go away. But we wouldn't qualify for, he for heaven if we had anything that was less than new because new is always now. God is the great I am, right? And we're going to be in heaven. I don't think we're going to be wearing watches. I don't think we'll be having phones. Well, okay, we'll have phones, but we won't use them for our, our clock. We've got to, we'll have to have our phones. 
But we won't, but we won't, we won't have calendars. We won't care what's going to happen in 10 minutes or what happened 10 minutes ago because it's always going to be in the presence of God. It's always going to be now, and you and I are always going to be new. I just thought that was kind of a cool way of looking at it. My father's also teaching me that I can depend on him and that I need to depend on him. Um, again, it's been a rough go in the, in the financial areas here, and I won't belabor that, but, but God says he is the giver of all good things, and... That's good middle Tennessee water right there. Um, That God is the giver of all good things. I went to this counselor a couple years ago. (laughs) Not because I needed a counselor, but uh, he he needed the hours to get some certificate or something. So I, I, I'll, all right, I'll play along. I'll, I. uh, so I said, yeah, okay, so let's have this little counseling session. So we're talking, and we got around to the thing about finances. And I said, you know, I know why the Bible now, and I, I don't even know if this guy's a Christian, um, but I made, I made it clear that I was a believer, but I don't, you know, we didn't go there. He was, he was a clinical psychologist guy. And uh, so I'm telling him, you know, I, I said, I know why the Bible says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because when Sandy and I were both working full-time and we had pretty decent paychecks and stuff, we weren't wealthy or anything, but... But we had a little extra. And, you know, like a guy at work's got five kids and the washing machine breaks down. We were able to take some cash and just slip it to them unbeknownst. And suddenly they had money for their washing machine. And, and you know, you, you stick it in their mailbox without a name on it. And it's cash so they don't know where it came from. And it, that's such a joy to be able to do things like that. I said, but in the last few years, that's been happening to me. People have... I've gotten a check in the mail, and it's, and it's a postmark, and, and, but no name, and I don't know who it came from, but it blessed me that way. Or, or people have bought my lunch for me because they know they're not probably a bit of a stretch for me, and I'm like, this, this is embarrassing. It was, it was blessed to give, man. It was fun to be able to on that side, but being on this side of the table is humbling, maybe even a little embarrassing. And I said, it's more blessed to give than to receive because receiving sucks. And this counselor goes, okay, so, so let me get this straight. You say you serve the giver of all good things, but receiving sucks. I'm thinking, yeah, some counselor, right? <laughs> yeah, busted. All, if, everything, if every good thing comes from God, then even when we give somebody something good, it's coming from God. If we had that job that allowed us to make enough money that we had some surplus that we could give it to somebody else in some way, it came from God. The skills I had, the education I was able to get in order to do the job I do was so I could give that away. That's from God. So anything good I receive is from God. I don't have to sit here and be humble about it and and say, well, I hope it didn't stretch you too far. Hey, if God laid it on your heart to give to somebody... It's, it's not a guilt trip on either side of the, of the table. One a verse that Sandy and I have really clung to through all of this <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, Hebrews 13.5. And I'm going to read it to you because Hebrews 13.5 is a great verse. It's, it's talking about being free from money because God will never leave you nor forsake you, which is quoting from the Old Testament someplace. But the amplified version, this is outstanding. I've got to read this to you. Hebrews 13.5, Amplified, says, 
Let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions. And be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. That's one verse. Amen. I think he means it. <laughs> Recently, my wife and I joined something called ACT. It's Artists and Christian Testimony. And you can, if you don't know of them, they're, they're, they're based locally, but it's na- nationwide and even worldwide, the ministry's there. It's basically a mission board for creatives, for artistic types. So artists, musicians, comedians, um, actors, writers, that type of people, because... Unless you're a big name, a lot of those things that God's put in our heart to do don't exactly pay the bills very well. And so we, we've gone on support there, and we're, we're in the process of building that right now. And I'm already seeing Hebrews 13.5 come into play here with God's generosity toward us, knowing that it's coming. all good gifts come from him and not uh, from begging for it on the streets. But in dad vernacular, Hebrews 13.5 basically says... I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to come to all your games. I'm going to come to all your concerts, your recitals. I'll be there for that scouting project. I'll be there for that school project. I'll be there. You know, of all people, I think it was Woody Allen who said, 80% of success is what? Showing up. I think, I think that definitely applies to dads, sometimes just showing up. Keith Branson, ladies and gentlemen, he'll be here all week. And we'll just, we'll just scratch that joke off. That one. <laughs> nice. But C.S. Lewis would have said it was so much more profoundly. But, uh, yeah, Porky Pig would eat that. My dad, I'm sorry, my dad. My dad showed up. He came to every game. And when I say every game, my brother and I played three sports a year from junior high all the way through high school, plus summer baseball leagues since we were eight years old. It wasn't because we were great athletes. My parents just vowed to find a town small enough that we couldn't get cut from the team. And we didn't. And he came to every single game. You add that up, that's a ton of games. He never missed. I mean, he never missed. There were away baseball games in the afternoon where he'd be the only spectator we had rooting for our team. He was that guy. He coached a lot of those summer league teams and even some football at school until the teacher's board, made, you know, the, the, the union made him quit because he was taking somebody's job away from him. He used to volunteer to coach football. He was, and he was good. And uh, he came to every single one of my games. And that came into jeopardy at one point. When my brother graduated high school, I was a rising senior then. I was a year behind him in school. And so Bob was graduating. And shortly before, his, during his senior year, we formed a rock band. And uh, we performed at the, the high school. And we won. 
We won the contest. So, so one of his buddies, when he had his graduation party, and, and in my little town, everybody came to everybody's party. I mean, everybody came to everybody's wedding. It was expected. 300 crashers, that's just going to happen. And because uh, there's nothing else to do in my town, you see. And so Donnie was having his graduation party, and he said, I need a band. So that was our first paying gig. That was pretty cool. And, of course, my parents were there. Of course they were. They came to everything. And this being a little German heritage town, the beer was flowing, and, uh, which is never a good combination with my dad, unfortunately. And uh, I'm up there rocking out on the drums and playing the same 12 songs over and over again. And I see him out there, and he's fast dancing with girls my age. And, I mean, it was innocent. Mom's sitting right there. But I know my dad well enough to know that it would take a few beers for him to get up and do that. And I got embarrassed. Now, I didn't tell him I was embarrassed, but he got word that I was embarrassed. And I got the, uh, I got the silent treatment, the passive-aggressive thing. He walked out and didn't come back that night. Finally came back the next night. And by then, um, he's not talking to me still. I said, Mom, I got a ball game tomorrow night. I'm pitching tomorrow night, and he's not coming, and he's never, ever missed a game. Did you ask him? He won't talk to me. Ask him. But he won't ask him. I asked him. Nothing. So next night, I, he's not coming. So I'm warming up before the game, got my arm warmed up, and I, somewhere shortly before the game, I see my, my our car pull into the driveway of the park, and I immediately go, good old mom. <laughs> She's trying. She's going to be here, but she's, she's not dad. So I'm warming up some more. As the car pulls up to the backstop, I see two heads sticking up. Anybody want to guess who won that night? I got three hits, and so did the other team. I pitched a three-hit shutout. I struck out 12 guys and drove in three runs and felt like I could strike out Mickey Mantle that night. 80% of success is showing up. So my brother and I, when it came Dad's time, he was sick, and we knew it wasn't going to be long, so we showed up, of course. And we were there in his room, and, of course, ESPN was on. And it's August, just like now, and it's NFL preseason time. And lo and behold, are you kidding me? The Detroit Lions are on tonight against the Cleveland Browns on TV. It's got to be preseason, right? Sure as heck isn't the playoffs. This, so... So we all kind of knew this was going to be our last game to watch with Dad. And he was still alert, but he wasn't communicating well. We, so we watched the game, hung out together, and then we're getting ready to leave, and I'm asking Dad, you know, not, not knowing what to say, uh, do you need anything? And Dad gives me a look that I can only describe as, Denny, that's a stupid question even for you. <laughs> and, I, and I saw that face, and I said, yeah, I know, that was, that was dumb. He goes, oh, you thought of something, huh? What do you need, Dad? And Dad goes, I need to die. I just need to go. And it seems morbid, but it wasn't. It was, it was his last joke, I guess you could say. So my, we all hung out with him the next day. My brother came later, though. He came all by himself and hung out till 3 a.m. because he sensed Dad was going to pass, and he wanted to be there until he realized... You're not going to do this until I leave, are you? Because you don't want an audience. That would be typical. So my brother left at 3 a.m. Meanwhile, the next morning, I'm hustling out the door at 7 because 
I wanted to get there first. I knew my sister was coming a little bit later, and I wanted to get there first because I wanted time alone with Dad to say whatever it is I needed to say to my dad, the last chance. So I wolfed down some breakfast, and I kept having this sinus issue, so I kept grabbing a Kleenex and blotting my nose and sticking it in my pocket. You know, it happened two or three times. I got in the car. I turned on the radio, which I don't normally do anymore. I turned on a Christian station, and the first thing I hear is, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. That Matt Redman song, 10,000 Reasons. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. And yeah, the sun just came up, it's a new day dawning. So I'm like, okay, Lord, you have my attention. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. I went, oh boy, I don't like where this is going. Got to the last verse, I'm about halfway there now. He says, and on that day when my strength is fading... The end draws near, and my time has come. And, of course, I wasn't singing by then. I'm sobbing. And lo and behold, I got this pocket full of Kleenex, just, just what I needed exactly to get there. God provided every little need. I got to my dad's room, and it's quiet. You know, it's seven, now 7.15. There's a little light coming through the blinds. It's a little subdued light. And I yell, Hello, because, you know, my dad was nearly deaf by the end. I'm like, hello. Nothing. I mean, he's sitting there. His eyes are open. I thought, wow, the morphine is really kicking in this morning. So I walk over to him, and I yell in his ear, because, again, nearly deaf. Hello. Nothing. I touch his arm. It's a little cool. I see his oxygen mask, and I'm thinking, shouldn't his chest be moving a little bit? And I mean, I'm in this little state of denial, and all of a sudden I just go, <laughs> you're not here. You went home. You're not here. You went home, didn't you? And there were no tears in that moment. I was, I don't know, the, the, the peace in that room was unlike anything I have ever felt. And I just stood there. I didn't want to leave. It was like... There was still some heaven left in the room. It was like one of the angels forgot to close the vent. And there was still all this peace in the room. And I just didn't want to leave. Denny, you need to go get a nurse. You probably should call your brother to go be with your mom. You need to call your brother-in-law so your sister doesn't... I'm thinking all these things, but I didn't want to. I just wanted to stay in that peace. It was amazing. So I finally got the nurse, and she does the vital signs and says this, and this other lady was with her. And she starts crying and wanting to hug on me. I'm going, yeah, okay, I, I know, but I'm, I'm not there. That's not where I'm at right now. I went down the hall, and I went out to the lobby because I thought, I'll call my brother. I'll do all the things I'm supposed to do. And I, and I said, I better wait for my sister in case she's on her way here and Melvin doesn't get to her in time. So I waited for my sister in the lobby. And it's just two stories high, and it's resonant with glass and wood, so I'm echoey, echoey. Oh, that's cool. And I just wanted to sing. I started singing the, the uh, Fernando Ortega song. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And the second verse, and when I am alone, and I felt really alone at the time, but with this piece, give me Jesus. And the last verse just goes, and when I come to die, oh, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have this whole world, but give me Jesus. In that moment, they 
face to face showed me together the peace of God. We learn from our dads. We either learn good things from them or like my dad learned from his dad, he learned what not to do. I learned a lot of what not to do as a husband from my dad, unfortunately. But I learned how to be a dad for sure. Even though I don't have children, I know what it means to be a good dad. We learn from our Heavenly Father forever. And he's the one who's perfect and doesn't make those mistakes who we can always depend on and rely on. And so therefore, continue to learn from your father. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and rate us on Apple Podcasts to spread the word. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media about getting your memoir on paper in a book. Mention the New Canaan Society when you go to harringtoninteractive.com. <laughs>